First up, we have Angela, who is uh, our main lady. She's our uh, top dog for Kids Fellowship. She has such a big heart uh, for the kids, and I love working with her. She is our uh, children's ministry coordinator. So if you guys, she has a uh, testimony to share with you today. So here, she's up next. Good morning, everybody. Uh, praise the Lord this morning. What a great worship. Thank you, team. Um, so I am excited to be able to share a little bit about uh, God First. That's my theme. I wore this shirt special for my testimony uh, today because it's definitely where my heart is. God comes first in everything that I do. And I am so blessed to be able to stand before you and say that because six years ago, I was definitely not in that same place. And I remember seeking, my heart was just really empty. I was in a relationship, I'm still in this relationship, um, in the relationship, and it was just not going anywhere, you know? There was a lot of lies and uh, cheating going on in, in my end, and I was just kind of out of control. And, and I was thinking, you know, is this what God has created my life to be so crazy and chaotic with lies and guilt and shame? And I was just at a place where I was like, this is not enough, you know, this is not good. I don't feel good about who I am. And so I was talking to Adriana, one of my friends who's Patty's sister. She was telling me about Searchlight. She was telling me about this church that her sister went and she's like, you gotta go, you should just check it out. I'm like, mm, I don't know, maybe, maybe. You know, you're saying you wanna find God and then you know, they say, hey, go to church. You're like, mm, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll go. So my friend Jules like, you should go. They're going to do prophecy. And I was like, what's prophecy? What is it? She goes, you know, it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And I was just like, all right, well, I'll go. Let's see. She goes, it could be a message from God. Like, he could be speaking to you directly. I was like, all right, I'll go. So I went, and there was a, it was a JoJo and Nancy and um, another individual, Susan, I believe, was with me. And I didn't know these ladies for it's the first time I ever met them. And we sat, and they gave me my first prophecy. And I have to tell you, at that particular moment, I knew that God was fighting for me. Because the words that were saying to my, like the minister, they were ministering to my heart because there was a vision of, a, you know, the man with the world on his back. And he's bared down with the world. That's how I felt at that particular moment. I felt like the world was just on my back. And I could not bear the weight. And, and it said that God wanted to lift that from me and wanted to renew me in a way. And so I was like, wow, there is no way that these people knew what was on my heart because I had just met them. So I knew from that moment that God was real and speaking and fighting for me. So I came back. I'm like, this is pretty cool. And um, they had their first dating workshop. And I was like, oh, I'll sign up for the first dating workshop. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm having some real issues just with my relationship. And if I'm going to get it, I want to get it right. And um, it was actually, um, it changed, it transformed my life. It changed everything. It actually was the, I have to say, it was the point where I was um, in awe of God's love for me. And it was just the uh, teachings, uh, the small groups was definitely a place where I found a lot of healing and love. And for the first time, I was able to share my story of where I was coming from. So I come from a small town of Pescadero. Uh, my family is very crazy. I, I don't know if anyone has a crazy family, a cra chaotic family. Uh, I do. And, um, 
And so being able to share some of the pains that came from my childhood and feeling loved and accepted for who I was was definitely um, where I came back. I was like, I want to come back. My heart began to seek God out more. And I wanted to learn more about Jesus. I knew about Jesus. I knew that he had died, but I didn't know who he was as a person and what he could do for my life. So I continued coming back. I started running and my life was just like, God was just like opening up so many doors for me. I could not believe my life. And then tragedy happened and I, um, I lost my brother. And uh, I felt like the whole world ended for me. And I couldn't believe the pain that I felt. And I was like, God, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to my family? And it was at that moment that I kind of disconnected myself from all of that and my life just went down a bad spiral. My relationship that I had been with um, for 10 years, I just started just not caring anymore. I didn't care about my relationship. I didn't care about him or what I was doing. I just wanted to fill the void that I had in my heart of pain with all of my addictions. And uh, my addictions is men and, and sex. And so when I was out of control, I was just, um, I was in the mirror one day and I saw myself and I was so disgusted in who I had become. And I said, God, you know, please help me, help me to see who I am in you. And there was another dating workshop. And I, I've gone to five dating workshops um, in my time here at Searchlight. But I have to say each one, I grew in a different area of my life in relationships, not just in my relationship with my fiance, but my relationships with people. And, um, and I started going to counseling. And as I was going to counseling, I realized that I needed fellowship. And I actually joined the women's group here at Searchlight Fellowship, um, which really helped me begin my healing process because I had women who did not judge me for what I was doing, but they wanted to help me see who I was and to actually love on me for who I am and not for the things that I have done. And that's hard to find in this world. It's not easy to find people that will accept you for who you are. And here at Searchlight, that's what I've received that unconditional love that God has promised me and the non-judgmental thoughts, even in the moments that I've gone and done bad things, they still love me, you know, and they're encouraging me to do better things. So as I was starting to feel healing in my heart with counseling, I finally had a point in my life where I had to be truthful in my relationship. I wasn't truthful about the cheating. And I realized that if God had a purpose in my life, I could not continue down with lies and shame in my heart because it was going to keep me in bondage of that because I was never going to be able to get out of it. So finally, I was able to uh, speak the truth with my fiance. And I've been standing in truth for two years now, and we're in couples counseling, and we're actually recommitted ourselves to get married. And I feel like if it wasn't for a women's group, if it wasn't for uh, the dating workshop and the seekers retreat and really understanding my faith, I wouldn't be able to stand before you with such a heart. And I struggle every day, you know, but I put God first in everything that I do. And um, I was actually really happy when I joined the Dulos, we had a Dulos program about two years ago, and I was just like on fire for God. I was in the truth, I was struggling, I was just all excited about what was gonna happen, and um, Children's Fellowship kinda came in my lap. Like, God has something for you. It's if you open your eyes enough to see that he's putting it to you. And I was just like, I had went and sat in one court, uh, I was helping in children's, and it was like, there was no, you know, it was really like empty. And I was like, ah, there's, it's empty. I want to do something for these kids because they are our future. 
Like I want them to know God in Christ at an earlier age because as they get older, if they don't know who that is, it's a little bit more harder to stand firm in what you believe. You're gonna struggle. So I wanted to really, that was part of my ministry. And now, two years later, I'm still teaching children's. It's one of the best blessings I ever had. And I'm just so blessed that I have a community like Searchlight Fellowship that has allowed me to really, they encourage that, you know, to, to really seek out your purpose. And I just feel so blessed to see the healing that's happened in my life individually as a person I feel like a whole different person people go there's something different about you there's something different about when I look at you what is it like it's, it's Jesus you know it's all up in me in my eyes I have a light that shines and I, I have a Jesus makeover and everyone can have a Jesus makeover because um, he's fabulous he's better than Mac or anything that you have any kind of label that you can put on you is better but I am just truly blessed to be able to share just a little bit of my life and letting you guys know that God is there, he is real, and he loves each and every one of you. And Christ had a purpose to come and be a missionary. And I wanna say I'm a missionary of Christ, and I'm gonna continue down the path even when it's hard and even when I fall on my face, I'm gonna get right back up. And I'm gonna clean myself off, I'm gonna put Jesus Band-Aid on, and I'm gonna move forward. Because uh, I'm always gonna fall. So anyway, so I'm just so blessed uh, to be able to share. I hope that uh, you too will find it in your heart to find what God is calling you to do and just trust in that. It's a little scary, it's a little overwhelming, um, but it's actually really rewarding in the end. And especially when those kids come out and they're like excited, uh, that's my excitement and that's God telling me I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing uh, for his body and for his work. So thanks everybody, that's all I have. And here's Nancy. You're amazing. Angela's such a rock star and such a, oops, uh, <laughs> awesome part of our community. She's definitely brought so much, like, uh, sorry, I dropped stuff. Um, I love how much we, the kids love Kids Fellowship so much that we have people like dragging their parents. I love that. Like I was talking last week uh, because I had some friends of mine that came and they didn't know whether to go or not and they didn't. I said, you have to come. I'm telling you, the kids, I don't know what they do in there, but whatever it is, it's awesome in a way that they come out excited and loving it and going, we have to come back. Like, when are we coming back? And we even have a story about, uh, just as far as Kids Fellowship, where one of the women <laughs> told me that she hadn't been going to church for a while. And her daughters were like, when are we going? When are we going? And then she made them, the, ki the, the kids made her promise that they would bring them next week. And then the mom was like, didn't feel like, got up and was like, I don't want to go to church today. <laughs> like, and so the mom was like, um, how about, you know, she's like, um, Instead, I'll take you for ice cream. And the, and the kid goes, oh, no, Mommy, that's not going to work. There's nothing you can do to bribe me about not coming to church. You promised. I'm holding you to the promise. So you got to think that what they're doing in kids' fellowship is amazing. <laughs> when kids are like, you promised, Mommy. No, we're not going for ice cream. You promised to take us to church. So, um Anyway, so I'm excited and, and definitely very, very thankful, Angela, for what you've brought. Because, and they just don't play. I mean, you, you get people, you know, saying, like, I can do all things through Christ. You know, like, that they come out with that kind of passion and love for God and faith and faith in healing and prayer. And I'm like, 
this is awesome as a kid to have this, especially, um, you know, in the environment today where it's just schools can be kind of harsh, you know. So having kids to know God and to know that they're not alone is great. So anyway, thank you so much, Angela, for sharing that. So we're still in Spread the Love. And so Spread the Love is about living a life that is what, how we can be there for other people and how we can make a difference in other people's lives. Because giving and serving and making a difference to other people is actually, it's one of God's paradoxes. You think, gosh, how is it that I'm serving and giving, but I'm more blessed? You know, you think, <clears throat> but it's just the way that God works. That when you give yourself to his purposes and to make a difference in other people's lives, you are making a difference, but you're also, your life winds up getting blessed. You see God bigger. It's a win-win in a way that wouldn't make sense on paper, but it makes sense in God's uh, world. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about how you can be there for other people in kind of some practical ways and walk you through an example in the book of Acts that I love. But first, let's start off with um, Ephesians 4, which I think is sort of like... Anybody want to help people that they know? You got some people right now that on your heart, like, like just think right now about people in your life that you're like, you feel maybe powerless or you think, you know, you just see them hurting and you're wondering, what can I do? Or maybe you've tried to help and it hasn't worked very well. You know, that, that kind of a thing. So we're going to talk about that a little bit and go to uh, Ephesians 4. Uh, we're also on the U version, if Bible app, if you want to plug in. Uh, Spread the Love or Searchlight Fellowship uh, or Saratoga or any of those things, you'll find the sermon for today on version, and you can take notes. You can also take notes in your programs. I'm going to give you some contemplative things um, to think about and ponder so you can take notes in your program. There's like a little open it up and there's a place there. Uh, Ephesians 4 and in verse 29, I always love this verse. It says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it it may impart grace to the hearers. So I kind of want to break this down a little bit. It's the word word. We kind of talked about this. Well, well, first corrupt. Corrupt, the word means rotten (laughs) uh, or worthless or unfit for use, not useful. So it's talking about the things that come out of our mouth that that they should not be useless. (laughs) Let's not have useless things coming out of our our mouth. Um, Rotten, useless things. And then the word word is the same one that we were talking about last week, which is logos. It says the word logos means word, but it's also, if you you ever read the Gospel of John, John 1, it says that that this is God's word. You know, the, the Bible is God's word. It says God is his word. It's his being of who he is. And it also says that Jesus is the living word. So, and that's the word logos. So it's meaning oftentimes is really more than just a word per se, but really the all of who we are and our being and what we live about. Jesus, if you think about it, he in the flesh was the walking word of God. Like his life, if you saw him, you'd kind of know what God was in God's word because he was living it out. So this is what the, so this word here is also logos. Proceed out of your mouth, it says, but what is good, and the word is good or useful, 
for necessary edification. And edification, to edify, it's to build up, but it also means to promote growth. So the goal of us speaking and what we share with one another is for what we need for growing up. That that should be the, like the, here's two kind of ideas. One is that what we share, what we speak, that it helps with what we need to grow and then also that it imparts grace. We talked about grace last time, that what we speak and who we are and how we share is with grace. Now, if you missed last week, grace is, is, uncon- is, is not deserved favor from God. And so it means that wherever we are, whatever our life is, that we give grace to people. Grace means that we don't size people up and love them conditionally on how they behave, that we love in a way that we get that God has given us grace, that he's loved us the way that we are, that we can give it to other people. So our speech should reflect those two things. It should be how can we speak in a way that someone needs to help them grow, and also how can we speak in a way that delivers grace. So when you're thinking of helping someone, those are some things to keep in mind. Now, one of the things that's kind of funny is Oftentimes when we think of helping, and especially because I really believe ultimately that we are limited in how much we can help. We are limited vessels. Have you ever tried to be the rescuer for someone? That doesn't go so well, does it? Because we're not built to be the savior. We want to help, but we want to also recognize our role is more to introduce people to the Savior, not be the Savior. To help people to come to know Jesus more so that they can get help there. But oftentimes when you think about sharing the faith or sharing about Jesus or what have you, a lot, have you ever seen people that are really preachy? That sucks, doesn't it? Like, does anybody like that? It's just like, I mean, this is sort of what you think about oftentimes when you think of Christians, you just think that they just talk at you with spouting their advice and cramming down what they think or cramming down their advice for you or how you should be living or this is what you should do or got to come to know Jesus. You know, get your life in order or whatever that, you know, like there's no grace in that, you know, and also, so think about that's not what this is talking about, about how we help people or how we share our faith or how we can be there to help people to grow. How how do you know what people need? Because you want to give them what people, this is saying that you want to give people what they need for growth. How do you know what that is? I mean, honestly, the best way way is to ask and to want to hear from somebody, to listen and to ask questions. a A big element of this, I think, is to listen more than talk. If you want to help, listen more than talk. You know, and to be praying and asking God in this. Um, There's a thing in the seven habits. I read the seven habits of highly successful families. There's a whole bunch of seven habits books. And it talks about how we want to seek first to understand before being understood. One of the ways to be there for people in this, if you want to help, is to first want to get it where they're coming from, what do they need, what is it to walk in their shoes, to understand what their needs are, what they're thinking, what, 
you know, is to ask questions and to listen, to really want to understand. We talked about grace and how the concept of grace is that God is on our side. We want to be there on people's side the same way God is. We want to get on the side of other people. We're going to see that a lot as we look at this um, as in this next section. Let's go to Acts 17. And I really love this because um, this is like, this is a record of Paul going to Athens. And this is, Paul like wrote the majority, well, he wrote the seven church epistles, which is kind of a big deal, you know, as far as an apostle goes. Um, But he was powerful in his ministry. He affected thousands of people. Um, And so it's really great to see because we, I think sometimes we have this idea of how do we represent faith or represent God to other people. And Paul's just a great example of how to introduce Jesus Christ to people. Uh, Because here he's going to Athens. Now, Athens is so, it's not Jewish, it's not Christian. In fact, at that time, it's the opposite of that. It's probably as far extreme. It probably would make Vegas look mild-mannered or something. You know, Athens. Um, Athens was a pretty crazy place in the day, back in the day. And so in, Ath- in, uh, in Acts chapter 17 and verse 16, it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So this is interesting because there's a few ways to look at this. He walked through a city, and I, and I think spiritually it provoked him. I think, and, it's, and the provoking is an urging. It's an, it's an urging to do something good that when he saw that, it made him, there's, there's other parts to this provoked, but it pierced him, it saddened him, it, you know, there's different translations for it. So, now why was that? Now, a lot of times we tend to think, you look at it in judgment, you know, but that doesn't make you want to help. You know, you look and go, this place is Sin City. You know, look at all the hookers everywhere. This is terrible. This is a mess. I mean, when he's talking about idols in Athens, a lot of them were sexual and sexually oriented. They were had groves that were, you know, I mean, a lot of phallic symbols. I mean, there was just, like, stuff that we would probably go, ah, you know. Like, you know, they had people serving in the temples of their gods that were prostitutes. That was like, this is not what you'd think of as being a normal religious experience. You know, it, it, was, it was sad, do you see? It was sad to see people giving their lives in this way. And I think, as you see as it goes, this is not, as the record opens up, he was not sitting in judgment. What he saw, and what's an idol? The Bible says an idol is something that's empty, that can't do anything for you, that's got no power behind it. An idol is anything that you put ahead of God that can't do anything. So I think his heart was sitting there going, this is just sad that people are giving their lives for something that's not going to help. It's just, you know, I mean, don't you feel that way sometimes as far as people maybe in crappy relationships? You know, that's like where you're just going, oh, like your heart just hurts and you're just going, oh, it's not going to be good, you know? It's not going to wind up that well. I think it's kind of more... <clears throat> as you see, that, his heart, that that's where his heart was. It says that it was given over to idols. 
And in verse 17, it says, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily. Now, the synagogue and the marketplace were just really where the people were of those days. That's, so he went to where the people were, and he reasoned with them, which means he discussed different ideas. He, he um, <coughs> discussed their points of view, his, you know, etc. And it says, with uh, marketplace daily, every day, with those who happen to be there. And then it says in verse 18, certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about uh, Epicurean. These are kind of two extreme, you know, diff- like differences as far as philosophically goes. You've got the Epicureans, and they were kind of like, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Like, let's party, you know, just like... It's let's do what feels good. And that was like one philosophy that, of life. Like this is the key to life is doing feels good. So that was the Epicureans. And that's where we get like when people that like nice food and things. <laughs> Epicurean. Um, <clears throat> where happiness is the ultimate goal. And then it changed into kind of immediate gratification. So it was kind of like the Epicureans were, what does feels good now, immediate gratification. Now, the Stoics were kind of the other way around, that were like suppressing desires, that you don't need anything, that it's important not to have desire. Desire is like a bad thing, and you should just be, you know, I mean, Stoic. You know, be self-sufficient, that you should rely on yourself and not need anything or have any needs from anybody else. It's sort of the opposite, right? So these are two major sort of philosophical uh, things. And it says, they encountered him and some said, what does this babbler want to say? So, and babbler is kind of a funny word because it, it, the word is actually means seed picker. <laughs> and what it means is it's a buffoon that picks up information and repeats it without understanding an empty talker. It's like somebody that's stupid, repeats what they say, and has no idea what they're talking about. So they're saying, what, what's this little seed picker? What's this babbler? Blah, 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 like saying <laughs> to Paul. <laughs> and uh, others said, he seems to be proclaiming foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus in the resurrection. Then they took to him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, which is the place that they sort of were, that's where you talked about philosophy. And... Um, they got it from the Greek god Ayers, and uh, it's also called Mars Hill, and saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and foreigners who were there spent their time and nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing. So that was the latest thing there was, let's talk about ideas. And then in verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things that you are very religious. And I really want to take a look at how he approaches this. Now, religious would be, this is really interesting because he's speaking about two people that are coming from a totally different worldview. And the first things out of his mouth is, you're religious. And I know today we think of that sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. It has different connotations. But here he's speaking about your very spirit. It would be kind of like saying, wow, you're a really spiritual person. You know, it's kind of like going up to somebody. Let's say you go to somebody that's Wiccan. You ever talk to somebody about Wiccan? He's going in there and he's not going, wow, that's awful. What are you thinking, you crazy person? He's saying, 
He's saying to them, I, that, it sounds like you're really spiritual. You know, what, now, I really want you to get in this, what's amazing about this is how much Paul seeks to understand and not judge. You know, so that, so that he gets to understand where they're coming from, so that he can open the doors to talk to them about Jesus. But it comes from a place of caring as opposed to, I want to try and win you over to the way that I think um, and be dogmatic about it. So it says, uh, oops. And then in verse 23, it says, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. Now, I want to, there's so many juicy things in this verse. It says, for one, he was considering, he spent time looking and observing the objects of their worship. He considered, that means he went to where they worship to understand it and to get it. How cool is that? He want, like, he didn't just go and look his nose up and go, ugh. Or, have you ever had people that are like, you can't go to a Buddhist temple because I can't do that? This is not where Paul was. You know, what the heck would you be afraid of? If something's real, guys, why would you be afraid? If, if what you believe has got anything to, to, that's real... Why would you be afraid of considering or looking or thinking or understanding other beliefs? Why would that be scary? Do you know? If truth is truth, it's going to hold up. Yeah, amen. Amen? Amen. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I just see a lot of Christians that there's so much fear about even listening to another way of thinking. Why? <laughs> They're seed <bad. laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, we should be able to dialogue and listen respectfully. We should. We should want to understand. If you think this way, I want to understand why. I'm not just so busy trying to get my agenda in there and my way of thinking in it, but I want to understand, and that's what Paul was doing. He spent time walking around considering, and from that, because, and you're going to see some other stuff in this section, that shows you that this is the heart and where he was going with this because it says, so he sees this altar that says to the unknown God. So he took, he looked and he was sitting there and saw the altar and went, oh, to an unknown God. So here's, it's interesting because he took some time to get to know them and he uses a need, something that's a need in this other person before he starts talking to them, or this group of people, he says, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, I'll tell you about. He's like, gosh, I see you have a, you have a altar to an unknown God. I guess if you don't know who this, this one is, let me tell you a little bit about that. He doesn't go, oh, that's not the same God. Do you know, like how, how I, do you know what I mean? Like, Somebody talks about God, oh, you're not talking to God at all. This is, you, you know, their altar is saying, I'll tell you who that God is. You're God. 
So then it says, it's just cool. You see, to me, I just see the love. I see the empathy. I see the compassion. I see the lack of fear. I see the desire to understand and connect. It's just like... And then it says, in verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is heaven, Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. So I kinda, it's kind of cool, too, because the idea, I, I'm sure, like, he's, he's also relating to the fact that their gods were gods that required things of them, and he was saying, this God has made everything, doesn't need anything from you. This God isn't, like, needing you to do things. This God you know, is there for you. And then it says, they also had um, gods of different, like, uh, parts of life. So he's saying, this God um, is Lord of heaven and earth. And then it says, in verse 26, and he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth as determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries in their dwelling. I like this, too, because he's going to another nation, and he's saying we're all one, and God is a God of all people, which is the truth. God, God is not a God of certain races or certain nationalities, and he's saying that, of saying this God has made us all one people. We are not divided people. As far as God's concerned, we are not divided people. That's not how God looks at it. He has made us all one as far as belonging goes. And as far as he made us all from one blood. And then in verse 27, it says that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And so I think in that part too, which is kind of cool, is the message is, is that if you seek God, he's not far. God's never like, it's not, sometimes we have this picture and that's what he's sharing with them is that where it's like as if God is way over there someplace and we have to do so much to get to God. No matter where you're at in your life, whether you've had any given God the time of day, God is right here near you in your presence right now. And it just means seeking. I mean, you just open your eyes and say, I want to seek God. God is, God's already there. He's not, you don't have to go, you know, Pay your dues to find him. God is willing to be found. He's not trying to be, um, he's not like trying to hide out. God wants us to find him. And it says in verse 28, (laughs) he says, For in him we live and move and have our being, which is so cool. That verse right there in verse 27 is actually, um, is that 27? Oh, it is 20. So it, it is actually a quote of a Cretan poet from 600 BC, one of their poets. He's quoting this. He's saying about God Almighty, he's quoting one of their religious people and, and saying it's about God. It would be like opening the Koran and knowing it and saying, and pull, picking something out, and it's just like, this is who God is. And you read something out of the Koran to say, this is who God is. How crazy is that? It's not crazy. 
Do you know what I'm saying? It's just sort of like, do you see how he is trying? It's just how God is, guys. Wherever we're at, God's getting on our side to help us, to heal us, to bring him, us into more healing and deliverance. I mean, how many times do you hear that, you know, as far as like he's going into another nation and using, you know, their, their own poets and philosophers? Because I love that verse. Don't, have you ever heard that verse before? For, for in him we live and move and have our being. I've just always loved that verse. Just like, oh, I really like, that's who God is. In him we live and move and have, you know, like, oh, it's just. But he's quoting one of their philosophers in it about God because it's still true. And then he says also, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are, are also his offspring. So he uses another quote there um, to talk about God. So two quotes from their philosophers and poets to speak about God. And then he says in verse 29, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. So it's funny because he's saying, your poet says that we're his offspring, so why would we think that, that God is made out of silver and gold? You know, he's, he's, it's not like he's, he's taking what they understand and appreciating it, but then also trying to reason with them about how that, why does that really make sense that, you know, if you're his offspring, that why would you think that he'd be made of silver or gold? It says in verse 30, it says, Truly, in these times of ignorance, or, you know, people just not knowing, God overlooked, but now he commands all, all men everywhere to repent or to have a change of heart. Um, and then it says, verse 31, Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And so now he tells them about Jesus. And then it says in verse 32, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. So everybody's got free will. Some people are going to, this is a great sermon, you know. But uh, some, some mock. Somebody's like, oh, a bunch of hooey. And others said, ah, maybe we'll hear again. We'll talk some more. We'll hear you again on this. So that's cool. You know, I'll, I'll hear more. And then it says in verse 33, um, Paul departed from among them. However, some joined him and believed. Among them is some names I can't pronounce. And a woman <laughs> named Damaris, easier to pronounce, and others with them. So anyway, so you get sort of in this that we want to seek first to understand and then be understood. Think about this in terms of like people that you know. Oftentimes, I think it's great, quite frankly, to invite people to church. You don't always have to, like, spend hours and hours talking to somebody before you invite them to church. But, you know, what about spending time, like, getting to know somebody to seeing what they need? You know, to listen, to understand, to get, to seek first to understand. You know, why not call somebody up and go, how have you been? I've been thinking about you. And just be there for somebody want to get, not judge, not criticize, but just get, you know, what's going on with them. I want to hear. I care. I care about you. I care about what you think. I care about what's going on with you, you know, and get, be 
where God is with us, which is on our side. God gets on our side right now and is on our side right now no matter where we're at. We talked about that last week. It blows my mind. Angela talked about it in her testimony. God was loving her when she was acting like a jerk. God loved me when I talked about it last week, when I was doing all that crazy adultery stuff with my uh, first husband. Love me right there. Doesn't make sense. Do I deserve it? Oh, heck no. But God loved me and loves every person. So we want to be that when we're there for other people. We want to be disseminators of grace. We want to be that what our conversation is, is grace, of understanding, of compassion, of listening. Part of like when you think about it, it really helps to think, sometimes, you know, we talked about it last week, where people are, because we don't want to be the Savior, we want to help people to know the Savior, Jesus Christ, because that really is where the help is. But sometimes... People are, you know, you think about, like, God says he gave us the ministry of reconciling people to God, right? The ministry of reconciliation. And so you think about it like sometimes, you know, you think about word zero. We don't know Jesus, and you're trying to get people to know Jesus, you know, whatever that is, zero to ten or something. And ten is like, I'm like walking, you know. Ten is I've arrived, and I'm in heaven. No, I don't know. Um... But some people are at minus 10. Some people have had such terrible experiences with Christians because of the judgment and condemnation and shame. They're at minus 10. So sometimes maybe what we do to move them towards Jesus is let's get them to minus 5 where they just don't think that we're all completely crazy, horrible, judgmental jerks. You know, where they just go, oh, this is different. I never met a Christian that's like, what, didn't judge me kind of thing. Maybe that's it as far as the love of God or the grace, you know. And if they don't believe, so what? We, we were there and gave what we could give, gave and we're trying to disseminate grace. There's just no downside to disseminating grace to somebody. It's not like you lose if they decide never to come to know Jesus. Like, we just want to be there to be the people that help if we can. And as you saw, even with all the awesome things that Paul shared, some said, ah, you're an idiot. That will happen. But it's worth it to do what we can to help people to grow, to help people in that continuum, whether it's going minus 10 to minus 5, or whether it's zero, you don't know Jesus, but, you know, two, you want to kind of find out a little bit more, or whatever. I don't know what the numbers are, but you, you get the idea, right? <laughs> There really isn't like a number thing for each thing. But, but you get what I'm saying. Like visually it kind of helps just go, how can I help people to know who Jesus is and his love and his grace? How can I help with that? How, or help people to grow. I'm okay with, I teach um, acting. And what I love about it is that there's so many open doors for me to share about Jesus. But a lot of times people never come to know Jesus, but they... They, their lives change and heal in some way. I'd rather have that than nothing. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I really believe the ultimate healing is in Jesus Christ. But I want to just pass on the grace that he's given me to whomever it is. If, you know, if I can get people to love themselves more or whatever and feel safer with who they are and not feel all the shame that they felt, you know, I mean, I love it in my acting class when people cry and say, I feel 
better about who I am as a person than I ever have my whole life. Like, I don't have the shame that I've lived with all the... Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, we want to do, like, how can we be there? And part of that is wanting to understand, wanting to listen, wanting to be present. People don't... That's when sometimes people open their hearts to say, I want to know what you got. You know, I see it in your life, you know. Maybe I do want to hear about this Jesus fellow, you know, because he's certainly done something for you, you see. So basically, seek first to understand. Obviously, we don't want to be the Savior. Our goal is to do what we can to move people towards getting to know the Savior, Jesus Christ. Sometimes people aren't going to get there, but it's going to bless people if we are in a place that we help and do what we can to understand, to help people to grow, to help people to heal in whatever way that we can pass on the grace that we have experienced. We've got it to give. You know, we, we have it to give because we've experienced his grace. So anyway, I'm going to, if you can write something down for me, I'm going to, um, what I want you to do, we talked last week about writing people down that you could pray for. I want you to think right now, you've been thinking about people that need his grace. I may think about the idea of, of people maybe that you could go have coffee with or something to just have an opportunity to be there, to listen, to understand, to ask questions, to just be on someone's side. That doesn't mean you can't talk about Jesus the whole, go- I mean, obviously, it'd be great. Pray, ask God for an open door, you know, to, to do that. But to really be where your heart is just there to help, you can ask God to show you what to share and how to be there. But listen, you know, listen more than talk ask questions. You know, and I still come back to, it's like what Patty was sharing the other day about the ambassador program of what blew her mind was seeing people's faces that they're so shocked that somebody cared, that somebody took time to listen or ask or wonder about them. That's pretty much what they do in the ambassador program. They're just walking around caring for people. And you should see people's faces when you're going out there and just asking people about their lives and how they're doing. And people's faces look like, I've never had anybody do that. Most people are so busy talking at them, wanting to get their stuff in and being self-centered, self-focused. So just think right now, is God putting anybody in your heart? Write down the names if there's people coming to your heart right now that maybe you could be there for. And to pray and ask God to show you and reveal that. And this week, think about going to spend some time with somebody, just, you know, that's one person even. Just be present and ask God how you can be there for that person. So let me pray. Next week, got awesome. We've got uh, awesome treat. We've got Adam and Mike teaching next week. So, woohoo! Yeah, exactly. Mike's excited about it. <laughs> uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace and your goodness. Um, you are really good and, and full of grace. I feel grateful for that. I just pray right now that you help us to have, to, to have your grace for others. And honestly, what I love about that is in it that we get to see it more for ourselves. Help us, Jesus, to help look at people through your eyes of compassion and grace. Help us to see others the way that you see them. 
And in that, that we help to see how you see us more and more and more clearly. To have your compassion. I love that, that verse, Jesus, where you looked at the multitudes and had compassion and wanted to help. Help us to live like that, to walk in your shoes, Lord, to be like you, that we can spread your love, that we can. We can make a difference in the world around us. We are not powerless. We can make a difference. That there are people lost and hurting right now in our lives, in each and every one of our lives. Help us to have the boldness and the courage to give them your love. To help them, Lord, to get to know you. To care the way that you care. Thank you, Lord. Amen.